chapter 16. John chapter 16. If you're wondering where John is, it's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible, fourth book in your New Testament. We're looking at John chapter 16. We are not going to get there right away because kickoff Sunday is a very special day where in many ways, in addition to preaching a message this morning, I'm setting you guys up, preparing us all as a church family for this brand new year ahead. And I got to tell you this, we are excited for a brand new year here at Thrive. We believe the best is yet to come. But before I share with you the theme for this brand new year, I thought it would be appropriate and good of us to take a moment to celebrate the amazing things that we experienced together as a church this past year. Would that sound like a good idea? See, last year we had a theme. It's called Greater. Everyone say Greater. And in this past year, we said, we told you guys, I remember one year ago, I stood on the stage and said that God wants to produce a greater version of you this coming year. That God wants a greater version of you and a greater version of our church to come out this coming year. And there are a lot of indications that is what happened this past year. Let me give you a few highlights of our past ministry year as a church from September 2018 to August 2019. A a, a number of things that we can give God thanks for. First is is that we saw an increase in our Sunday worship attendance. Praise God for that. Yeah, we grew from a church of approximately 220 people to a church of approximately 300 people. Give Give God some thanks for that. That's very, very cool. At our Christmas services, 2018, we saw a total attendance of 410 people, which was a little over the 100 compared to last year before. Uh, We saw 40 new believers on that day come to know Jesus on that day. That's fantastic. Uh, At Easter 2019, our services then, we saw 423 people, which was exactly exactly 100 more than the year before. We saw 63 new believers come to know Jesus on that day. Give God a big hand for that as well. That's fantastic. Oh, you guys love Jesus more than that. Come on, give God a big, big hand in this place right now. Here's another one that's worth clapping for. We saw 20 people baptized so far uh, this past year. Give God a big hand for that as well. 20 people, a record ever since we started Sandy Services. We saw 63 people take our TDS Thrive Discipleship School Level 1 course, which is our membership course, Getting to Know Thrive Church. We saw our serving team grow to over 100 people, uh, and that was really cool as well. In fact, that chart kind of tracks. We track who's serving in the church, and so in a church of 300 people, you know, we know about 100 of you guys are serving. That's a number that we want to see increase this coming year uh, significantly, but we're thankful for the increase we saw this past year. Uh, over in March of 2019, we also fasted as a church. We had our church-wide fast. You guys remember that? We fasted three days together. About half of you guys, about 57 people or so, fasted all three days, which is really cool. Uh, We also participated in what we call the Game Devotional Challenge, which is all about spending time with God every day. Learn to read your Bible every day. Learn to pray every day, because that's how you grow in your relationship with God. And we had over 100 people participate in the Game Devotional Challenge. We sent Victoria and Sherlyn on missions to Taiwan. We sent Pastor Tim and Sandra on missions to India. We dedicated more babies, lots of more babies. In fact, here's a, here's a picture of Micah and Josiah, whom we dedicated earlier this year. That was fantastic. Uh, Father's Day was really fun. We did our Thrive Ninja Dad obstacle course competition. That was a lot of fun as well, celebrating the dads as well as the moms. Uh, you know, we prayed together a lot this coming this past year. We did 26 prayer meetings across the year at our midweek prayer meeting. Proud of our church for doing that as well. Here at Thrive Church, we say much prayer means much power. Little prayer means little power. No prayer means no power. So that's why you got to pray. Train me to say, that's why you, you got to pray. 
Another thing we did, which was an exciting thing for us, is that for a, a number of years, we didn't know where we were going to go as a church in terms of our venue. But this past year, we renewed our lease here on the Thrive Center that you're in right now for the next multiple years. Not just that, but we lost our kids' center just down the corner. Uh, but when we got the email saying that we, they were, the landlord needed to take it back, in that same day, I, I texted our, our staff and said, this is an opportunity, the best yet to come. And praise God, a few months later, the next door unit opened up, and now we're taking over the next door unit, and we're expanding our venue to have a new kids center that we're renovating right now. God, God, give God a big hand for that as well. Excited to unveil that to you guys very, very soon. We're thankful to God for all those things. We became actually a less event-driven church this past year. I don't know if you noticed that. Is that we, had, we wouldn't have all these huge, big events. We didn't have a church-wide conference this year. Didn't have a church-wide retreat this year. Instead, we just kept things pretty simple. Small groups went on their own outings. We, we preached through the Bible uh, in a way that we'd never done before. We did six months in the Gospel of Luke. Can you believe that? Six months in the Gospel of Luke. Every single week for six months, we took a look at Jesus together, and it was a lot of fun. We did different series over the past year. We did our greater series. We did our known and loved relationship series. We did our faith journey series. We started a new small group with Pastor Tim and Sandra. We call them the Strong 28s because here at Thrive Church, there's only three ages. There's 8, 18, and 28. doesn't matter what your birth certificate says. You're either 8, 18, or 28. So this is for our older people. It's our Strong 28s. We're thankful for them as well. You guys have became a more generous church as well. Our monthly offerings increase. And so in all these ways, can we thank God for all the ways that God blessed and used and impacted Thrive Church and our city. So that oh come on, give God a big, big hand in this place together right now. Amen. And of course, with every year, there are things that we have learned, lessons that we've learned, ways we want to improve. You know, for, for one, it's one where we want to see, we've got right now a church of about 300 people, but about only a, a third of you are in small groups. We want to see that number increase significantly because like I said before, if you're not in a small group, you're only superficially connected to your church. You want to get deeply connected and be part of a small group. Turn to say, be part of a small group. Now the things we want to see more people serving. More people taking TDS too, Thrive Disciples School. Well, one of the hardest things about this past year was we, con- we conducted the first funeral we ever did here at Thrive Church. In 12 years after, since planning Thrive Church, it was the first funeral that we ever did. And it was a young man who, who passed away uh, you know, very suddenly. Uh, Winston, we miss him a lot, but uh, we believe that God is writing a greater story in and through his life and here at church as well. If you believe us, say amen. And so it was a year of incredible things that took place, and we're very thankful that we believe the best is yet to come. That was last year. Are you guys ready to talk about this year? This year, do you want to know the theme for our brand new year of 2019, 2020? Well, here you go. Right now, I'm going to tell you, the theme for this brand new year of 2019, 2020 here at Thrive Church is overcome. Overcome. Oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Why do we call this new theme for this new year overcome? It's because I believe every single one of us can look in our lives and point to something that we need to overcome today. Maybe it's something personal to us as a struggle that no one else knows about. Maybe it's a very, uh, you know, it's a very uh, emotional kind of struggle for you that you're trying to go through. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Maybe it's a struggle in your workplace or in your business. Maybe it's a struggle when it comes to a relationship that you care about. Maybe it's concerning your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe it's a bad habit even trying to kick. Maybe it's something with, with regard to depression or you know, maybe an addiction. Every single one of us, we have issues that we need to overcome. Maybe it's a personal weakness that is robbing you of joy. You know, 
all of us have things that we have to overcome. And sometimes those challenges in life can feel insurmountable. The reason why we call this new year the theme overcome is because overcome represents the attitude that we as a church are going to take in together in this new year. That no matter what challenges we may face in life, that whether it's individually or corporately, we're going to have the attitude that with God, all things are possible. That with God, we can overcome. And that you know, what might seem like an impossible challenge for you right now, well, the fact is this. When you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have the power to overcome. Turn neighbor and say, you were made to overcome. You were made to overcome. Are you excited about this new theme for this coming year? This new theme is overcome. Now, that might sound great, but practically speaking, how does that work? What does that look like to overcome in real life? We're going to be unpacking that this coming year. Overcome isn't just an attitude. Overcome is not just rah, rah, you can do it, you know, positive thing. It's not just about that. But overcoming is learning a set of new skills for living. Overcoming is, in the fact, more than anything, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you would stick with us this coming year, you're going to find that when you have Jesus Christ in your life and you've got an active relationship with him, you have the resources, the wisdom, and the relationships you need to overcome. Come on, if, believe, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand here this place together right now. We're excited for a brand new year. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm excited for this year. And so it's with that in mind today that I'm here to give the inaugural message of our 2019-2020 year. John chapter 16, verses 5 to 14. Would you all turn to John chapter 16, verses 5 to 14? And would you mind standing from where you're seated right now? Would you just stand to your feet right now as we read the word of God together? We're going to be reading these 9, 10 verses together. I'm going to ask you to read this in a big, loud voice and help me preach in this place this morning in the short time that we have together. Would you help me preach in this place this morning? Let's read this out loud together right now. We're going to say, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And if you drop down to verse 33 in your Bibles, would you read verse 33 of John chapter 16 with me? Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Before you take your seats, let me tell you, today's message is entitled, The Courage to Overcome. The courage to overcome. Before you take your seats, would you turn to your neighbors around you, give them a high five and say, you have the courage to overcome. Do that right now. Tell them right now, you have the courage to overcome. Please have your seats. We're talking today about the courage to overcome. And the fact is that in this passage from John chapter 16, we're looking at Jesus who's getting his disciples ready for a very interesting time in their lives. He's getting them ready for the time when he's no longer going to be with them. And so he's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about how one day he's going to ascend to heaven, a time when he's no longer going to be with his disciples. Now, in pop culture, you're going to find when you listen to songs on the radio or on your phone that a lot of emphasis is placed on making the most of the moment, you know, living in the present. 
And I'm all for making the most of every moment. I'm all for cherishing the present. But the fact is this. A wise person doesn't just live in the moment. See, as important as cherishing the moment is, I believe this is the wise person also asks himself or herself, how can I prepare myself and those I love for the future? How can I live in such a way that after I am gone, I put the people that I love the most, my family, you know, my friends, my church, in a better position? If you believe us, say amen. And even if it means doing things that momentarily feel a little bit uncomfortable, how can I live my life in a way where after my moment on earth is gone, the people around me are in a better place? That's what Jesus is doing. That's the question Jesus is asking. And that's why Jesus is talking to us in John chapter 16. See, Jesus knows that he's about to leave this world. He's about to die on the cross for our sins. He's about to go to, be, to a tomb to be buried. He's going to rise again from the grave. And after 40 days of appearing to his disciples and even his critics and skeptics, appearing to them alive, resurrected, he will, after 40 days, ascend to heaven, leaving his disciples thereby alone to lead the church that he has started. And so Jesus is telling his, his, his disciples a bunch of things that they need to know for when he is gone. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is like a comforter, a counselor to his disciples, the people who follow Jesus. And, and it goes to show that you know, following Jesus and being a Christian is not just about assenting to a bunch of doctrine or beliefs. It's about having a relationship with God. If you believe us, say amen. And see, he says one more thing in verse 33. Would you read verse 33 of John chapter 16 with me one more time? What does it say? It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you underline or highlight these words? In this world you will have trouble. See, the fact is this. One of the things I love about Jesus is that Jesus is a realist. He is the guy who tells the truth. In fact, that's one of his most famous statements. I tell you the truth. He tells it like it is. Jesus doesn't pretend there are no problems. Jesus doesn't just kind of high pie in the sky, kind of, you know, everything is great. Everything is kind of like Pollyanna. Everything is fine. No problems at all. No, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. As a Christian, as following Jesus, you will have trouble especially. But the fact is this. Jesus knows that life is hard, that problems are real, and in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus also says something else. Look at John chapter 6, 33 with me one more time. It says, I've told you these things so that, could you underline these words, in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. See, in Jesus Christ, there is a peace that is greater than your trouble. A peace that the world cannot match or give. See, in, the, in fact, I find this after, you know, being a Christian for a number of years now, is that the peace that the world gives, or the peace that the world offers us, is like an escape from your trouble. It's where you take that drug, or you watch that video, you go on that vacation, you go to that club, and for a moment, temporarily, you're taken away from your trouble. But when, you know, that movie ends and the credits roll, when, you know, the, the vacation ends, when the high fades, you're back in the same position you were in, your trouble comes back to you. Whereas the peace that the world gives is just something that takes you away from your trouble for a moment. The peace that Jesus gives doesn't just take you away from your trouble, it takes you through your trouble. It's a peace that helps you to face what you are facing. It's a, it's a peace that gives you a clear perspective on life. It's a peace that enables you to make better decisions as you're going through the trouble that you're going through. If you believe us, say amen. 
And see, if you are in any kind of trouble today, Jesus wants you to find his peace in him. Not in anything or anyone else, but in him. But there's more. See, look at the next part of this verse with me. See, sandwiched, sandwiched around Jesus' statement that you're going to have trouble in this world, he says, on one hand, you're gonna, there's peace in me, but he says one more thing. Look at John 16, 33. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Take heart. Would you underline those words as well? See, if you're in some kind of trouble today, Jesus' word for you is take heart. Will you turn to your and say, take heart? What does that mean? In Greek, it's tharseo. What does that mean? You know, you could make the argument, in fact, that take heart, tharseo, was Jesus' favorite phrase. Because over and over, in the stressful, difficult, insurmountable challenges that people would face, he would often say this phrase, tharseo, take heart. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 2 with me. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Everyone say, take heart. Look at verses 20 and 22 of Matthew chapter 9. What does it say? It says, Just then a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Everyone say, take heart. See, what does take heart mean? Write this down. To take heart means simply to have courage. It's to be courageous. You know, in fact, you'll find that this word comes up in different ways. Sometimes it's take heart. Sometimes Jesus says, take courage. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 50. What does it say? It says, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Tharseo. It's the same word. And then finally, Acts 23, 11. Would you, preach, would you help me preach in this place, church? Big, loud voice. One, two, three. It says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. See, even in Paul's case, in the most stressful time, he's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live tomorrow, and he's being in prison for his faith. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed. Jesus comes to him and says, take courage. Thar seo. See, if you are stressed today, if you're worried about tomorrow, if you're wanting to give up, Jesus' word for you today is take heart, take courage. And see, let me ask you this question today. Is there a situation in your life today where you need to take heart? Is there a situation in your life that you're facing right now where you need to take courage? Maybe it's a stressful time for you as you begin a new season of school or a new season of sending your kids to school or a new season in your life or in a relationship that you have. Maybe it's a new season for you. Maybe it's an uncertain future that you're facing, and you have to take courage because of that. Maybe it's because there's a new opportunity that you're thinking about taking, but you're not really sure, and you need to take heart. Maybe you're here, and you're grieving the loss of someone you love, and you need to take heart in that way. See, all of us, every single one of us, in our own way, needs to take courage today. Maybe it's courage to do the right thing when you're tempted to do the wrong thing. Maybe it's courage to move forward when you are tempted just to sit back and just kind of do things the way you've always done them. Maybe it's courage to, to take a risk instead of just playing it safe. Maybe it's courage to admit your weaknesses or to admit your mistakes rather than just pretending and denying them. You know, per- perhaps it's courage to speak up when the easier thing to do 
would be to remain silent. Maybe it's the courage to ask for help when you're tempted just trying to figure things out for yourself. Maybe it's the courage to wait for God's best instead of settling for a shortcut in your life. Maybe it's courage to trust God instead of panicking and worrying and complaining and being frustrated and being a control freak. How do you need courage today? How do you get courage today? How do you find courage today? We're going to end today by talking about that right now. For those of you who need courage this morning, is there anyone in this place besides me who needs courage this morning? The fact is we all do. If you need courage this morning, let me end today by giving you four tips from the Bible on how to find courage if you lack it today. Would you take some good notes in this place, church? You write this down. Number one, realize that courage is not a feeling. Courage is a choice. Courage is not a feeling. Courage is a choice. You know, the reason why Jesus tells us to take courage is because courage is not a feeling. Courage is a choice. See, a lot of people, they have got the wrong view of courage. They think that courage is the absence of fear, that you're either courageous or you're fearful. And if there's any fear in you at all, that means you're not a courageous person. But I'm here to tell you today, courage and fear are not mutually exclusive things. Either you're courageous or fearful. No, the fact is this. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is choosing to move forward even when you're afraid. Choosing to be brave even when you're scared. You're going to find that fear and courage often work together. They're often in a dialogue. It's not like you wait until there's no more fear and that's when you're courageous. No, it's you choosing to be courageous even when you're afraid. If you believe us, say amen. You know, I was speaking with a friend of mine who's never served at Thrive before, and she's thinking about auditioning for the worship team. And, and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to give it my best. And if God wants me to be on the worship team, he'll let me be there. If not, it just means that God has something else in mind for me to serve. And I love that about her. I thought, you know what? She didn't say, oh, what if I get turned down? Oh, what if I got rejected? What if they don't like my voice? What about all those other people who sing so much better than me? If there's so many other people who could do this, why not? Why me? Instead, she's like, you know what? I'm going to do it, and I'm going to see what happens. That is called courage. Amen. There's a bit of fear, but she's going to be, you know what, in the absence of anything else, I'm going to keep on going anyways. I'm, I'm scared, but I'm going to be courageous. It's because courage and fear work together. Maybe you're the type of person who often disqualifies yourself. You discount yourself. Oh, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. You know, look at everyone else. They've got so much more than I do. And you just discount yourself from the very beginning. If that's you, you got to take courage this morning and say, even though I'm a bit nervous, even though I might feel like I lack certain things, the fact is I'm the do it. I'm going to choose courage today. Turn your and say, choose courage today. You know, former president South of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, said this. Re- he read it with me. He says, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. If you think that courage is you getting to that point where you never feel afraid, guess what? You've got the wrong idea of courage in your mind. Because you can be scared to death and still be courageous. Because courage is not a feeling where you feel no fear. Courage is saying, yeah, I'm afraid, but I'm going to respond to that fear in a brave way. Amen. So whenever you feel afraid, see it as a signal to choose courage. Say, you know what? I'm scared but I'm going to be courageous. I feel fear, but I'm going to choose courage. That's part of finding courage. It's to realize courage is not a feeling. Courage is a choice. Turn your name and say courage is a choice. Number two, if you want to find courage in this new season of your lives, number two, realize that the cost of giving into fear is almost never worth it. How many of us know that fear, giving into fear comes at a cost? You know, back in grade 10, 
um, and that was many, many years ago for me. But back in grade 10, uh, I, was, uh, you know, I, I was playing rugby on my high school team. You guys know rugby? I'm going to show a picture of rugby, okay? This is what rugby looks like. It's a little bit like football, a little bit like American football. No pads, a big olive-shaped ball. And I wasn't on the A team, I was on the B team, all right? So I wasn't very good, and my team wasn't very good, and we were playing other teams that weren't very good. But I remember there was one time when I was playing in this rugby game where the other side looked exactly like us except for one thing is that they had on their team this giant of a grade 10. And I'm not sure, I kept thinking, this guy can't be in grade 10. This guy looks like he's an adult who's just flunked school over and over again, and he's like, no, 28, but he's still in grade 10. I, I bet that's it, because he's just huge. He's not super muscular, he's not super athletic, but he was just really, really big. And what they would do is every time the other side got the ball, you know what they do? They take the ball, they just pass it to the big guy. And the big guy, would, he didn't run that fast, but because everyone on my team was scared to tackle him, he would just run into the end zone, he'd touch it down, and he'd be, score, yeah! And he'd go back to his side, they're all high thoughts, and they kept on doing that all game. He scored maybe five or six times, and finally, we're getting together as a team, and we're like, what in the world are we doing? He did, this giant keeps on scoring on us, we gotta put a stop to it. And so finally, we're like, you know what, okay, we're gonna, we, okay, because no one wanted to touch him. We're like, finally, we, someone's gotta touch him. And so finally, this guy gets the ball one more time. I remember I and one more guy, we go up and we grab, I grab him by this huge tree trunk leg. And I'm, and I'm, I'm being dragged by him. And then finally, this other guy comes and he, he, he gets the other tree trunk leg. And we're, we're both being dragged. But finally, another guy comes and he takes them down. And we all fall down. And you know what? The giant landed on my face. And on that day, man, I felt a crack in my nose. The blood was gushing out like a fountain. And, but the fact is this, we took the giant down. And he didn't score again. And why do I share that story with you today? It's because maybe there's a giant in your life that you've been allowing to score on you over and over and over again, all because you're scared. Maybe that giant is called fear. Maybe that giant is called, you know, hopelessness. Maybe that giant is called a complaining spirit. Maybe that giant is called, you know, grief or depression. Maybe that giant is called worry. And because you're afraid to tackle it over and over, that giant is a scoring after scoring after scoring on you, and you're defeated, and if you feel defeated about that, I'm here to tell you today, here in this brand new year, it's time to overcome the giant. It's time to tackle that beast. Amen. And see, I mention it because it goes to show giving into fear always comes at a cost. For as long as we wouldn't even touch the giant, he just kept on scoring on us. Scoring after score after score, try after try, point after point, until the day we said, this has got to stop. See, fear always comes at a cost. What is the cost of you giving into fear? Well, there's a few things that happen. If you give into fear, it means you're not going to grow. You're just going to stay in the same place. You're going to be stuck in the past. You're not going to learn anything. You're not going to have space for anything new. I'm often, you know, deleting, like, photos from my phone because I'm trying to make new room for new things. But if you are someone who is so stuck in fear, you're not going to have room for the new things that God wants to do in your life. You're going to be stuck in the past. You're not going to have any story to tell except the, uh, story, the story of how afraid you are. See, sometimes I'll be prompted when I'm driving in the car or maybe walking down the street, I'll be prompted to maybe reach out to someone, maybe someone I've never met 
And sometimes I'll relent because I'm scared. I'm like, what if I embarrass myself? What if, you know, they think it's really weird? What if I pray for them, nothing happens? And this is what I find is that whenever I'm courageous, I almost never regret it. But whenever I give in to fear, I almost always regret it. And do you know why? Because fear, giving into it, comes at a cost. It's the cost of giving to fear is almost never worth it. Another way of putting it is this. Ask yourself this. What story do I want to tell others one day? What's the story that I want to tell? Do I want to tell the story of how I was brave or the story of how I gave into fear? Do I want to tell the story of how I tried and failed and I did my best and it didn't quite do and work out, but at least I gave my best? Or am I going to tell the story of how I was so scared I never even tried at all? You know, am I, am I going to tell the story of how I, I courageously did the right thing even though it was hard? Or am I going to tell the story of how I gave in and did the easy thing? What story do you want to tell? Look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 20 with me right now. What does it say? It says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See what's going on. See Paul, he's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live tomorrow, and he is scared for his life, but he writes to his church in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. He's writing to them and saying, I expect that I will not be ashamed, but I will be courageous so that I can tell a story. What's that story? That now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. He's asking, what story do I want to tell with my life? Is it the story that I shrunk in fear at the most important moment, or is it the story of how I was courageous even when I was afraid? And in the same way, if you want to be someone who overcomes that giant in your life this coming year, choose the courage story. Choose the story of you doing the courageous version of yourself. And if you don't want to do it for you, do it for your kids. If you don't want to do it for you, do it for your spouse. If you don't want to do it for that person, do it for your church. If you don't want to do it for anyone, do it for Jesus. Because there's a story that God wants to write with your life. But it requires courage. Turn your neighbor, turn, turn neighbor, give him a high five and say, choose courage. Number three. Number three. Is this helpful in this place so far? We're going to quickly end. Number three is if you want to find courage in this new season, take a brave baby step. I want to right now show you guys a video that's very, very precious to me. And that just goes to how precious you guys are to me as well. I don't share this often. I think the last time I shared this with any of you was about a year and a half ago. But this is a video of my older son, Bradley, taking his very first steps. All right? You guys want to see this? This is my older son, Bradley, and this is, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, him taking his very first steps. I just happened to be there with a camera on while he was taking his first steps, and this is what it looked like. Check a look. All right, can you give my son a big hand right now? Praise God. I never get tired of watching that video, and, and it's one of those, I, I love where he, he, kind of, he kind of like falls prostrate at the end. It's almost like he's worshiping Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I finally walk. Fine, thank you, Jesus. And, 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 and I, I've even been thinking about showing this the video to my younger son, who's just one years old right now, showing, hey, Caleb, look, this is how Bradley did. They're going to do X's and O's and all that stuff. But the fact is this, is that, you know, the, the reason why I show you this video is to tell you, never underestimate the power of a baby step. The fact is this, is that whenever I go to the gym, uh, the first step is always the hardest step. Don't you find that? That first step through the door, the first step on the treadmill, is, that's always the hardest step. But once you take that one baby step, the next step is easier. And the next step is easier after that. How many of us know that destinies are made 
by taking one baby step at a time. You know, the fact is, even when you look at this church, is that, you know, the, the first brave baby step that Pastor Charlene and I took as a married couple 16 years ago when we, ju- when we got married was that just a couple months into our, uh, our, our, our marriage, we decided to take a little baby step. Charlene had always wanted to spend time with her family in Taiwan. I'd always wanted to live in Asia. And we thought, okay, we're going to do a baby step, something that is, is, is going to take some courage. It's going to be a bit of a risk, but it's a manageable one. It's one that I think is measurable. It's manageable. It's something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in taking. We decided we're going to go for nine months. Nine months in time. I was born and raised here in Vancouver. Never spoke a lick of Mandarin. We're just, I'm just going to go. I'm going to spend time with Charlene's family. I'm going to you know, learn some Mandarin in the process. Nine months to spend there. And then that was a baby step. I'm going to say a baby step. And then after we took that baby step, it's all of a sudden as we're setting our roots there for just nine months, it's almost like God was saying, how about spend a little bit more time here? How about stay a little bit longer? And how about stay a little bit longer? And with every time, there was a little bit more of a baby step, a little bit more. How about try leading a small group at your church? Okay, a baby step. You know, how, how about try coaching a, some small group leaders now? Oh, a baby step. How, just, how about start seminary and, and train to be a pastor? Okay, a baby step. Oh, and then finally, how about, how about come back to Vancouver and plant a church here in Vancouver? And that was, felt like more of a baby step. than It, it didn't feel like a baby step. It felt like a big step. But the fact is this, is that if you told me, if you told me 16 or 16 years ago that, hey, JB and Charlene, you guys are going to, after you get married, you're going to go to Taiwan and you're not spend nine months, you're going to spend four years there. And it's going to com- completely turn your lives around and you come back and you start a church. I would have never gotten on the plane. And it's not because I don't love what we do today. It's because back then I would have been scared to death. And that's the thing, is that when God shows you his plans for you, he doesn't always show you the full picture because it would freak you out. But you know what he does? He shows you the next baby step. That is why the word of God says that the word of God is a lamp to my feet. It's because he shows you that next step. He doesn't necessarily show everything. He shows you the next step. Everyone say the next step. And I find this, is that God leads us in baby steps because you're his baby. You're his baby. He loves you. You are precious to him. God leads you in baby steps. Look at Exodus 23, verse 30 with me. What does it say? It says, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. What is that? Little by little. What is that? That's a baby step. Little by little. Not everything right away, but little by little. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 22. What does it say? It says, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you little by little that's talking about baby steps see you don't climb a mountain by just one step you don't just take one huge step when you're when you're doing the grouse grind oh i'm done but see, so many of us, we, we kind of treat life that way. We think, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to I do that challenge. I want to make that career. I want to fulfill that dream. And, and we, we have this kind of this really short-lived, impatient way of thinking. Of, oh, I'm just, I, I, just, I want a shortcut there. I want one big step. But the fact is this. You don't climb a mountain by taking one big step. You climb a mountain by taking several, in fact, thousands of little baby steps. And see, some of you are discouraged because there's a mountain in your life. Maybe it's the mountain called your marriage or the mountain called your future, your career, or the mountain called your ministry. And you are discouraged because you're trying to figure things out and overcome things in one big step. And it's as if God is telling you today, stop thinking about it as one big step. Think about it as a baby step. One baby step after another, because that is in many ways the way God leads. And so with that in mind, here's a question for you this morning. What is one brave baby step that God wants you to take this coming year? 
What is one brave baby step that God wants you to take this coming year? Maybe that baby step is what you did this morning. Maybe you came to church and you're like, that was, it, it, it was a victory just to get in here this morning. That's a, brave, that, that's a brave baby step. That is great. Maybe you're beyond that. Maybe come to church regularly. That's something that's already you know, old hat to you. Maybe it's about doing a small group. Trying a small group. Maybe it's auditioning for the worship team. Maybe it's about doing something else where it's the next step, the baby step you're going to take. Don't wait until your circumstances are perfect. Don't wait until you have it all figured out. Just take that baby step in faith because that's how God leads you. If you believe that, say amen. That's why Pastor Rick Warren, one of my favorite pastors, he says, a small step of progression is a thousand times better than a delayed step of perfection. Perfectionism paralyzes progress. You see, maybe you're so, so perfectionist in your mind that you, you, you keep on wanting everything to be perfect before you even take a single step. But the life of faith, the faith journey that God has you to be on is one where you take a step of faith. You take a baby step. Turn to him and say, take a baby step. Last point, we're going to close today. If you want to find courage, one last point is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this. Read it with me one last time. This is our main verse for today, so let's read it in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, I have told you these things so that in me, church, can we do it like all 100% of us united? Can we do that? One, two, three, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What does Jesus mean when he says, I have overcome the world? What does that mean? See, when Jesus says, I have overcome the world, what Jesus means is this, is that in this world, you will go through all kinds of trouble. In this world, you'll have all sorts of problems. But in this world, the two biggest problems you will ever face are sin and death. Sin is when we do our own thing, not God's thing, and the Bible says sin separates us from God. Because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God. Because of sin, we can't reach heaven even if we try, no matter how good we think we are. We can't reach heaven because of our sin. That's the first problem that we experience here in life, in this world, in this trouble. The the trouble is our sin. The second problem is death. Every single one of us is going to die. And see, when Jesus says, I have overcome the world, what he's saying is that the two biggest problems you will ever face in life, your sin and death, I have conquered both. See, Jesus says, I overcome the problem of your sin by dying on the cross for your sins. When we were separated from God and had no way of reaching him, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that only God in the flesh could live. He died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, not because of our performance, not because of our merit, but because of the unconditional, unfailing, unchanging, unlimited love of God. Come on, give God a big, big hand for the amazing love of God for you. That's how he conquered sin, but he didn't end there. His work will also continued on. When he was buried, he rose again from the grave to show that Jesus is greater than death and that you can trust what Jesus says and that those who place their trust in Jesus, they not only have their sins forgiven, but they have eternal life with God in heaven as well. And that's why 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says it this way. Read it with me, big loud voice. What does it say? It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith. Write this down. When you fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, you find the courage to overcome. When you fix your eyes on Jesus. One of the great benefits of having Jesus in my life 
is that when I don't have the power to overcome, Jesus has the power to overcome. That when I'm at my weakest, my most stressed, when I don't know what else to do, Jesus is there to make me strong. When I don't have it in me to keep on going, God somehow, through Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, gives you the strength to keep on going. This is not just some positive thinking trip. This is not some wishful thinking trick. This is not just playing pretend, but this is the experience of every Christ follower who gives room to Jesus Christ for his power to work in their lives. Is that just as Jesus overcomes this world in him and through him, we can overcome as well. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Amen. If Jesus conquered your two biggest problems, sin and death, how will he not help you with the trouble you're in today? That marriage that's falling apart, that that future that's uncertain, that cancer that is hurting your body, that uncertainty when it comes to your finances, that relationship issue. How could Jesus Christ not help you to overcome when he's already overcome your two biggest problems in life? Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place. There's more in you than that, church. Come on, give all your praise. Last verse, verses for today, Hebrews 12, 2 to 3. What does it say? It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God here today doesn't want you to lose heart. He wants you to take heart. He came here to take, so that you could take heart. And if you don't want to lose heart but take heart, you want to fix your eyes on Jesus. The more you draw close to Jesus, the more you fix your eyes on him, the more you experience the power to overcome, the more you have the courage to overcome. And so make drawing near to God your priority this coming year. Come to church every Sunday. You'll go to small group every week. Make spending time with God your priority every day. Because when you do that, you draw near to God. And when you draw near to God, you find the courage to overcome. As one pastor I like says, you lose your fear when you know God is near. And so draw near to God. First John 4.18, last verse for today, says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The only perfect love you will ever find in life, it's Jesus Christ. His is the perfect love that you and I need. When we draw near to Jesus, fear starts to dissipate. When we draw near to Jesus, the courage to overcome is yours. If you believe that, if you receive that, you've got a big hand, a big shout in this place together today.